Good afternoon, my friends. Happy Wednesday. The doctor's in the house. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G on such a great day. I tell you what, today's show, as always, is going to be fierce. It's made for you to spread the love, spread the information. I cannot wait to talk today about estrogen. Now, a few months ago, if you guys remember, I did a show about testosterone, and the response was overwhelming, and people said, Dr. G, you got to do a show for the ladies about estrogen. And so here we are. Today's topic, That Estrogen Show, Myths, Facts, and Other Realities. Again, my name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician. I practice at Edward Hospital in, in Bolingbrook in Naperville, Illinois. I tell you what, I'm also a lifestyle medicine advocate, member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and I'm so excited to welcome everybody back today to a great episode. And I tell you what, you guys are in for a treat. I have my great colleague here, and you're going to meet her in a, in a second, and I tell you what, we're going to break this down for you. Just like how we did for the, fe for the fellas last time, we're breaking it down for the ladies. And again, the best thing that you could do today is share this information. Again, we want, as us as physicians, we want you to have your best opportunity to live life to its fullest. Remember that your health is a foundation for everything that you do in your life. Remember, prioritize what you want to do, why you want to do it, and then come up with the how. And again, your physician's going to be there with you the whole time. So again, I'm so excited to welcome everybody back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. Again, my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Again, today, we are going to break it down. Estrogen has a real talk about this topic. Before we get into everything, I want to hit you with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So here we are today. I love this topic because, again, I mean, I get excited about hormones because you have to realize this. Hormones are like everything. I mean, hormones really set the foundation, and hormones are chemical substances. And in essence, they're like a messenger. I mean, hormones are made by one tissue, one part of the body, and they go to another part of the body, and they tell it what to do. And, and, and I just love that messenger aspect, but hormones are so powerful. And a lot of times, we get some things confused. And so we're here today to hopefully help set the record straight. Now remember, we're just talking today. Again, the most important thing that you can do, those of you that are listening, is if you have any questions, talk with your physician. He or she will be more than happy to answer questions. We're going to try to break it down. Got kind of a little bit of a grab bag kind of thing, mail bag kind of thing, some questions. Of course, we're going to get into my favorite part of the show, as always, Miss versus Facts, later on and everything. But again, we're going to break it down for you. I just can't wait. So let's do this, as they say. So I want to introduce you guys to my guest today, my panelist, she is phenomenal. She's taking care of my patients. She's a friend and colleague out of Edward Hospital. I want to introduce you guys to my great colleague, Dr. Meg Matelski. She is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She's also a fellow in the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. She's with Edward Elmer's Health. Check her out, www.eehealth.org. Dr. Matelski, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh -oh. I am so excited that this worked out for us. And, and like, when I came up with this idea and I, and I reached out to you and I was like, okay, Megan, we got to do the show. And you're like, let's do it. And I was like, let's do it. So let's, there it is. We're here now doing this. Exactly. Which is great. So I'm so excited about this. Uh, let's do this. Um, tell us where you went to medical school. I'm all about establishing credentials. Sure. Everybody knows that that watches the show here with Dr. G. Credentials mean a lot of things, but these are my trusted people. Again, we're all about building trust 
and delivering truth. Dr. Matelski, where'd you go to medical school? Where'd you do your residency? So medical school, I went to Loyola University Medical Center, yeah. Stritch School of Medicine, yes. which is in Maywood, Illinois, right yes. down the street. Yes. Um, and then for residency, I was at the Medical College of Wisconsin, affiliated hospitals, technically. It's a really long name, um, but it's Milwaukee, basically. <laughs> well, wonderful. And uh, we connected, of course, through Edward Hospital, and then we connected even more with the panel, like, hey, we're both Loyola Stritch School of Medicine alums. So I just knew there was a reason why we had to connect on this. So this is awesome. So, so glad. But thank you for coming out today. Uh, what I want to do again, we're going to kind of set the record straight on estrogen. There's so many questions that I get a lot, and I know you get those questions all the time from patients that come in your office. A lot of times for me, I'll try to do the best I can to answer them, and then I'll just punt them over to you, which is great. Uh, so that's great to have colleagues and experts that want to share in, 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 in really providing knowledge and really making sure that people that are out there do well. And so the hormones are just kind of a crazy thing. So give me a few opening remarks from your perspective. You know, what do you think when you hear this topic about estrogen, myths, facts, and other realities, what kind of comes to mind on, on just kind of the landscape that we're dealing with right now just to get people the right information? So in my view, um, the biggest thing that I think of when people just start to say things like, oh, I, I think I have hormone problems, or it's my estrogen, or oh gosh, I don't want to take estrogen, that's terrible for you. It's kind of one of um, realizing that everything in balance is going to either help you or hurt you, but it's got to be right for you. Individualize medicine or approach to whatever your treatment needs to be. Um, you know, you have to kind of decide with your doctor, is it safe for you? What kind of estrogen, if you're going to need it, would you, you know, go for? And really just kind of realizing that not everything is all good or all bad, and you just have to decide, is it right for you? Well, I totally agree. You have to make sure it's the right decision. And I think as physicians, we want to make thing, every, everything personalized. You know, we, we learn a lot about generalizing the kind of approaches based on how people present to our offices. But then you're really trying to say, all right, I got to make sure I can customize to this person's needs and be realistic at the same time. I can't, I can't like, when I do testosterone, I can't like make my 60-year-old guy feel like he's 20 again. Right. Or my 80-year-old guy, <laughs> certainly not my 80-year-old guy to feel like he's 20, but, but you certainly want to have some, some realistic expectations with patients, correct? That's very, very true. Wonderful. Because if you're 60, you're not going to feel like you're 20. Okay. But could you feel like you're 40? Maybe. Absolutely. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's legitimate. If we put your mind to it, you can do it. So some of this concept, we're talking about this hormones, and I want to just kind of lay a little more foundation for people out there. I, I referenced at the beginning that hormones are really, you know, they're chemical messengers and send a signal and tell the body how to respond to it. And, and really, I think about our, the, the predominant female hormone, estrogen. Of course, men and women have estrogen. Fellas, you got some estrogen in you. Ladies, you have some testosterone in you. But really, I think about this, the, the thing about these sex hormones, besides them being so powerful, and I think one of the things I try to, try to tell my patients at the beginning is that, is that hormones are released in these kind of like these bursts, these pulsatile manners, and they really are. And so people will sometimes will say, well, well, Dr. G, let's do hormone testing. I'm like, sometimes it's hard to just kind of do it because you have these bursts, and sometimes those bursts can last for hours, maybe a few minutes. It could be different during the daytime, different at nighttime. And, and it's just like, it, it's, it can't be generalized and sometimes it's so hard to predict where somebody's going. So let me ask you this. So say somebody comes into your office and says, Dr. Matelski, oh my gosh, I read this, I read this magazine and uh, I think I have hormonal imbalance. I think I'm off. How do you kind of just counsel that person? Because there may be people out there that are, that are, that are watching us right now that kind of say, hey, that might be me or whatever. 
Yeah. So it's, you know, when, a, when someone does say something like hormonal imbalance, like you said, there's a lot of different hormones in our body. That's really how everything communicates to each other. So things like estrogen, testosterone, um, there are other, you know, hormones that are definitely at play. And so I always ask them, you know, when you say you think your hormones are off, tell me what your symptoms are, because that really helps me kind of focus in on, does this sound like this is potentially, you know, a female problem in terms of ovaries or the brain or pituitary gland, but it can be other things too. Thyroid is a very, very common gland that, you know, there's multiple hormones there, and some of the symptoms can kind of cross over because, like you said, these hormones control like everything in our bodies. It's so. so true. I always kind of use an analogy. I kind of tell people, I go, you know, your hormones, your hormonal system, it, it's like a, it's like a spider web. It's like there's so many crisscross pathways and everything. You're trying to really make sense, and you're right. A lot of things have so much overlap, and certainly it's when you talk to your doctor after he or she gets your gets your symptoms, and then kind of thinks of a plan, then we can kind of hopefully pinpoint where a dysfunction may be, and certainly hopefully a treatment plan. Definitely. So let me ask you this question. Uh, we're talking estrogen. Love this topic. Uh, why don't we just go kind of estrogen 101. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what does estrogen do in a general standpoint? Why do women need estrogen? What, what's its purpose? Yeah. So, I mean, going way, way yeah. back to the beginning, you know, when you're an embryo and you're developing inside, you know, the uterus, Basically, you are responding to different chemical signals all the time from your mom through the placenta. And the placenta itself does make some hormones. Um, and then as you're developing, you know, you have to decide, are you going to be male or female? And some of that is coming from the genes, obviously. Okay. But, but the hormones are important, too, because it influences the development of your different organs and, and your um, phenotypic features. So what do you look like? Breasts, hair, where is your hair? etc. And so, you know, for, for women, estrogen is super critical in terms of determining reproductive function. That's going to be number one in terms of thinking about what does estrogen do in the body. I think all women know, okay, it has something to do with my ovaries <laughs> and nice. that it's important in ovulation and it's also important in making sure that your uterus is receptive for a pregnancy. Um, and then when you get down to it, when you talk about what happens when you don't have your estrogen, we know that estrogen is important for bones, for bone health, and for cardiovascular health. So there are definitely intricacies of estrogen that extend far beyond just reproduction. That is awesome. I love how you said that there's intricacies of estrogen that extend far beyond reproduction. And I think we have to kind of take that into the totality of it all mm -hmm. and just kind of not have the blinders on. Uh, and certainly some of these magazines that are out there, because people read things, you know, we're here to hopefully try to clear the air. Uh, it can be misleading. Uh, and say, oh my gosh, this is the reason, it's my estrogen that's the reason why I'm having all these symptoms or why I'm having this stubborn fat loss, which, which may be some, 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 some truth to some of that, but we have to continue to say it may not just be one single thing. Although I feel like as physicians, a lot of times we're kind of taught that can you, can you figure out somebody's issues with one singular diagnosis, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the kind of like keep it simple uh, approach. But a lot of times it's much more complex than that, correct? Definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely. It would be nice to be able to just say, oh, it's exactly this. Mm -hmm. But if it was that simple, you wouldn't need to go to a doctor, you know? <laughs> it would be very straightforward. Mm 
Yeah. But it's very complex. Oh my gosh, so complex. And I always think about when the hormones come to play, there's so many other factors that come into play that have any kind of thing to do. I mean, your environment, without a doubt. I mean, we sense things, our sense things, our conscious brain is out there sensing and surveying things at all times. We have the hypothalamus, which is a part of your brain that just gathers all this amazing information, not only your external stimuli, but also internally what's going on. And then that information has to be moved somewhere. It's, you gotta do something with it, you gotta process it. And then you can kind of have you bring it to your pituitary gland. Your pituitary gland says, all right, I'm getting all this information from my hypothalamus, and now I need to start talking to these other glands. And your ovaries for women, testicles for guys, we're talking about sex hormones, but we're trying to say like, all right, now what do you do with this information? And then you tell something to function. And I think that, first of all, I always think that that's, that's just marvelous how the body just can kind of work that way. And, and sometimes we forget about the complexities of our own body, even though we do things rather simply. And I go, wow, the body's so, so freaking awesome. But at the same time, it can be so frustrating when I have all these symptoms. And so, so that's the kind of, uh, that's the, kind of the, the nuance that we go through, I guess, on a day-to-day -day basis. So let me ask you this question. Uh, are there different types of, uh, people ask me all the time, and I'm going to ask you this, but are there different types of estrogens out there in the body? Yes, definitely. And, you know, when we say estrogen, and especially when you hear about it on the, you know, on TV or in, in ads or things like that, um, they know that lay people just don't know all those different forms of estrogens that are out there. And it really is just a term for a group of hormones that are related to each other. Okay. So estrogens, you know, in the, well, in the adult female, let me put it that way because I'm a regular general OBGYN, um, there are three main estrogens. So the main one is estradiol, and then there's um, estriol, and then, um, my other one that I never even talk about. Yeah. What is my other one? The estron. Estron, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, the problem is we don't really clinically measure anything other than just estradiol. Okay. Gotcha. So it doesn't really, I mean, it's, it's a nice thing to know about from a research perspective and knowing that, you know, different preparations of estrogens can contain these other forms of estrogen. But in a practical sense, we don't really do anything with that information clinically. Let me ask you this question. Say somebody's come in and maybe you are looking at them and uh, piggyback on what you said about estradiol mm -hmm. being the predominant uh, hormone that's out there and, mm -hmm. and, and certainly uh, premenopausal women. Um, but, but so you don't really go around, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there, are, there, are there times when you say, all right, maybe I need to actually check a level because I feel like I, I get asked the question quite a bit, doc, Dr. G, um, can you check my hormone levels? Um, and, and by the way, it's always can you check my hormone levels without any specifics. Uh, but 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 when you kind of read through things, it's really can you check my female hormone levels? And um, you know they want to check some of the pituitary stuff, and then of course ovarian uh, stuff. But but do you do you routinely check um, estradiol levels when somebody comes up like for just a routine exam? Uh, no, not generally. You know, if someone has um, various concerns or complaints, I usually ask them, you know, what specifically are those complaints? And of course, in the, in the going over all of their medical history and what else is going on in their life, I usually kind of decide, do we think that you are extremely deficient in estrogen? And, you know, like premenopause, you know, premenopausal women, it's very hard. They do say things like, I want to check my level. And, and I'm like, are you having periods? And are they regular? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, then it really is not going to do you any good gotcha. because it's fluctuating, as yes. you said. And it fluctuates a lot. And especially in perimenopause, it fluctuates a ton. So if you're still having regular periods, 
there's really no point in checking it because we know in the perimenopausal age range, so anywhere from 35 kind of plus up to the average age of menopause at 51, you could have a whole bunch of symptoms of lack of estrogen but still be menstruating and still have estrogen. It's just symptom-based. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. So what happens, let's take the, take the audience through what happens when a woman becomes menopausal. What happens to this hormone, this estradiol that we're talking about, this predominant one, does it kind of does it teeter off and other things kind of come in play? How do we kind of distinguish on that? Yeah, so as you um, are transitioning towards menopause, basically your ovaries are constantly losing eggs. You're born with as many eggs as you'll ever have. And unfortunately for women, we never really make any eggs. They're always dying off. And when we ovulate, we really maybe only ovulate 400 out of you know, one million plus eggs that we ever have in our ovaries. So it's kind of sad because <laughs> you're losing those eggs all the time. Um, but as you approach menopause, essentially what, we're, what you're losing is those little cells around the eggs that create the estrogen. Okay, gotcha. You know, it's not the egg itself, but the, the cells that support the eggs. And those cells basically just, there's not as many of them anymore to make the blood level of estrogen high. So you, when you're used to a high estrogen level and then suddenly it's low or you're pulsing really high and then really low, you can have symptoms from that. Certainly. So let me ask you this question. Uh, when I think about people coming in, because people come in, of course, because of symptoms. There's, you know, a chief complaint. Why am I here today? Why are you here today? Well, I'm here today because X, Y, and Z. And, and so if somebody is kind of saying maybe some of those things, maybe it's a menopausal woman or maybe a woman that's, that's approaching menopause, she's perimenopausal, um, and she's saying I'm having some hot flashes or I'm having some non-specific fatigue or I'm having some, maybe some non-specific mood swings. Uh, and, and you kind of think that, okay, it's probably because she's kind of going through this transition. How do you support that generally? How do we, how do we support that? I mean, do we always need to run towards medications? Because I feel like we live in a pill society. I mean, it's not like I feel like we live in one. We live in one. <laughs> let's clarify let's clear yes, that, right, right. That's true. Yeah, we live in a pill society. But, but there's a lot of movement towards doing things more naturally and support people through lifestyle. So, but, but say you have a person that may come in, and this might speak to somebody who's out there, and I suddenly again see your doctor. Um, how do you kind of approach that person that might be having some symptoms, and maybe the symptoms are too hard to manage on their own, and you want to support them? Yeah, so when it comes to, like you said, the perimenopausal symptoms, so the hot flashes, night sweats, mood changes, all of the above, um, there are definitely different treatments out there, but when we talk about trying to do things that a person can do on their own, um, it's a lot to do with lifestyle. So believe it or not, I mean, if you exercise a lot, even though in the short term you may feel exercise makes your hot flashes worse, it actually, in general, tends to make them better because you increase your vagal tone. So there's a, a nerve in the body called the vagus Thanks nerve, so. and it controls a lot of the internal organs and how you respond to things. So if you can increase your vagal tone with deep breathing exercises, meditation, yoga, exercise of various kinds, um, you can learn to sort of tone down your body's response to all of those kind of lack of estrogen flares or, you know, those hot flash moments. Yeah. It's very interesting how it's so intertwined. Again, hormones can be so intertwined with so many parts of the body, which, again, as I was saying earlier, that's the awesomeness about hormones. Uh, they really work, you know, because yeah. they really have an effect on things. And I, and I think about how when somebody's going to, you know, you mentioned about vagal tone, and, and we think about something in a system called your parasympathetic system, and that's kind of your kind of rest 
and digest and kind of processing, but we live in this, what we call a lot of, what's called sympathetic tone, our sympathetic nervous systems, which are so active, hyperactive, hyperstimulated, this fight or flight, if a bear comes in the room right now, you and I, Doc, we're gonna try to, uh, hopefully there's no bears out there, but you and I are gonna try to bust out this window, yeah. and, uh, and hopefully try to run uh, to save our lives. But, but, but a lot of times we live in that kind of constant, ongoing stress where it doesn't stop. We were talking a little bit before we got live on the show about how do you balance out so many things when you see different women in your practice that are at they're they're working a you know twelve hour job raising kids trying to make sure that their spouse is, is doing okay and all that kind of stuff maybe taking care of an elderly parent mm -hmm. uh, and, and that can be a ton of uh, pressure uh, to be a superwoman and then you're like okay now my now I got to make sure my hormones are good yeah how do you kind of how kind of process that as a doc because you see those patients all the time yeah so yeah I think for women juggling all these different roles and then especially having your own physiology sort of working against you. Uh, it can be really frustrating, especially for, I think, the perimenopausal women, because they're sort of going through adolescence, but in reverse. So it's even worse, <laughs> because now... I, I, I love that thing. <laughs> they're going in adolescence, but in reverse. I like that. And now, but they're responsible for their children, or their spouses, or, you know, parents, just like you said. So usually we talk about, you know, what are the things that they can control, that they can make changes, try to take a little bit of stress off of them, because... The stress only makes it worse, just like you said. So sympathetics, parasympathetics, um, our world is really, really full of a lot of stimuli, and it's, it's overstimulating. People are chronically stressed, and they don't even know how to listen to their bodies anymore. So there's a lot of dealing with stress and, you know, emotions, anxiety, all that kind of stuff. And usually if you can kind of get a little bit of hold on that, they'll do better. And then we talk about, well, maybe you do need some sort of medication or pharmacotherapy just to help you cope better. But realizing that some of these symptoms maybe will never be completely cured. But again, being able to cope with it and live a quality life where it's not bothering you so much that you can't do your life is kind of the goal. Excellent. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna piggyback off your, off, your, off your question right there, I mean, off your response. And we were talking about this kind of this, this superwoman, this uh, woman who's, who's busy doing a million things and trying to quote unquote balance hormones at the same time. Uh, a question that we get a lot, asked a lot all the time is like, people will come in and say, you know, Doc, I've just got no drive, I've got no libido, my sex drive is down, uh, you know, my husband's mad at me now, I'm doing a million things. How do you approach that person? Because cause they will say, is it my hormones? Or like, I, I know I'm overly, overly stressed, but I don't want to tell my husband this. How do you kind of approach that uh, conversation in hormones affecting libido? Yeah, so that's an interesting one because uh, it's obviously a very, very active area of research into sexual dysfunction and, and libido, and, and especially for women because it is more complex than just taking something like Viagra for a lot of men. You know, men are lucky because their physiology is a little bit more simple. <laughs> oh, yes, thank you. I appreciate and that. So for women, though, you know, when we talk about um, sexuality in general, a lot of it actually is from the brain. You know, women, their number one sex organ is the brain. So you do have to think about emotions. How is your relationship with your partner? Are there other things going on that you're worried about or stressed about or preoccupied with? Because if there are, it's very hard for a woman to be able to relax and listen to her body and have a sexual response. So, you know, we always have to kind of bring that into the forefront and make sure that those things are okay before really, you know, again, most of the time there's not really anything medical medical, at least not that we can detect. 
So we work on a lot of psychosocial sort of issues first, but we do want to make sure that she's well. So a lot of times we'll address things like, well, let's just make sure you're not anemic. Let's make okay. sure your thyroid is good. Let's Thanks. make sure your kidney, liver function's good. Just the basics, essentially. Is there a role to test an estradiol level in that person, or do you kind of say, let's look at the other things because you know you know the situation that it's probably just you're just overstressed and there's a lot going on. But some people may say, oh, guys, can you just check my estradiol level? Maybe they're 45, and you know, I would probably say, you know, is it worth it or not? I, I don't know the question. Sometimes I rack my brain over that, and I do the same kind of approach as you. It's like, let's just make sure we're not anemic. Let's do a few things. I usually get them over to my behavioral health person that I have in my office. But is there a role in that kind of situation to do an estradiol level? Not really. And unfortunately, you know, again, with estrogen being such a complex player mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, behavior in the brain and nervous nervous system function, um, it doesn't really seem to correlate exactly with sexuality. So even if you gave a woman a ton of estrogen and she, and she was taking it every single day, odds are she probably wouldn't feel any more likely to <laughs> want to have sex. <laughs> Hey, at least you said that you're, we're setting the record straight here. There's no doubt about that. But it, but it's true. I think you have to look at the. I love how you said you know women's number one sex number one sex organ is the brain. You know guys, you know it's another organ, but it can be your brain too. But uh, but but I'm glad that we're having this conversation because this is kind of real talk that I think people need to have. And certainly, hopefully, you have this kind of talk with your with your doctor out there to really help set the record straight. I want to ask this question uh, to to Dr. Matelski. Uh, we're going to change topics a little bit. A lot of times, we think about maybe a lack of or an imbalance. We're talking about imbalance of estrogen, maybe low or high. We're talking a little bit, maybe some low stuff. But are there cases of estrogen excess? People may read about this also in magazines and say, well, maybe you have too much, or maybe I need to augment somebody more, make them feel better, just give them a, maybe a supra-physiologic uh, dose of estrogen and see if that helps out. Do you see signs of excess in people? Um, well, you know, again, estrogen excess isn't really necessarily a medical term. So, you know, when you go to medical school and when you go to residency and you're reading about all these hormones, I think, you know, certain terms are very, very broad and they don't really, they're not specific enough, specific enough really for us. So when you say like estrogen excess, um, I think in the way that people have been referring to it, they basically mean that they are not necessarily ovulating very well. And instead of kind of releasing that egg when your estradiol level hits a certain level, they're not really doing that. And so that estradiol hangs around a lot more than it should. And, and could they actually have more estrogen just because things are not ever really resolving themselves in the ovary? Maybe. I mean, we don't really check an estradiol level on people like that. Again, it's, it's an interesting, you know, maybe a research question, really. Um, but when you have, you know, irregular periods or other symptoms where we're kind of worrying, maybe we're not ovulating correctly, that kind of, I think, is where people are referring to the estrogen excess, that they have, you know, basically predominance of the symptoms of the first half of the menstrual cycle. Gotcha. Now, one of the questions I get, it's really like, how do you know if, let me say, Dr. G, you know, I want to know if my levels or my estrogen levels are too low or too high, and I always have to kind of pause for a moment and pull that back and say, again, again, what are our goals? What are we doing? Um, you know, we, we, we can test you ad nauseum, but it may not do anything to change things if some, certain parameters are not foundational. And, and so I always kind of scratch my head on that one and say, well, let's just take a step back. What's going on? And maybe we can just balance things out. But I think, again, we also live in a, we, I said earlier, we live in a pill society. Uh, people want to be tested all the time. 
and maybe unnecessarily. And, and as a physician, sometimes it's a little bit more challenging, I'm speaking a little more personally, obviously, where you kind of say, you know, I want, you know we shouldn't be doing this, but you do it anyways. Uh, sometimes, and, but, and then the information goes back and it tells you nothing different, and you kind of say, why did I do this test in the first place? Let me ask you, ask you this question. Um, speaking of hormonal testing, I want to get your take on this one. There are these kits that are out there now. People are doing saliva testing, or they're doing other kind of uh, testing that's out there um, for people, for women on estrogen levels and hormone levels. Is that worthwhile? Is it all kind of maybe more smoke and mirrors on things? Yeah, generally we don't feel that the salivary testing is very reliable. Um, and again, that's probably related to the fluctuations that we talked about. So, you know, when you think about what's in saliva, it's, it's whatever your salivary glands are excreting. But, you know, again, if you want to get the closest to whatever the level is that maybe your ovaries are seeing or, you know, some other organ in your body are seeing, the bloodstream probably is more accurate. But, like you said, pulsatility is a problem yeah, and timing. So a lot of women, you know, if we're going to measure an estradiol level, many times we'll measure it on day three of their yeah. cycle. And day three is just kind of a little bit more of a standardized time in a cycle where if we're worried about infertility or problems with being able to generate estradiol, you know, that might be a good time to check it. But at the same time, unless it's infertility workup, we really don't check it. Yeah, I don't see much of a use in, 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 in doing that kind of testing. I don't get asked mm -hmm. that question often, but I do get asked that question from time to time. And, and one of the things I tell people, I go, first of all, you know, if you were to do a commercial kit, because these are all commercial, you know, the hospitals don't do salivary testing or things like that. But uh, I say, this is commercial. I don't know what the cost is. Mm -hmm. I may not um, know how to interpret this because I'm not familiar with this test. Not to say that I can't learn anything, but then how, what's the clinical utility? And I always try to say, we always try to practice the standard of care. And yes, I'm all about for innovation, because you gotta be innovative. I think us as, as younger physicians, we're gonna see so many awesome things that happen. Uh, and with, with, it's gonna be like science fiction. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, medicine is like science fiction now, because the things that we're, well, that we're doing now weren't, be done, weren't done you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, but, but in 20 years from now, they're gonna be kind of thinking like, you guys approached maybe female hormones like that? I don't know, but, but I think you have to have flexibility as we, as we, have, as we develop. But, but that's always a tough situation, but I usually try to talk, talk people away from doing something like that. But again, if you're out there at home listening to me and Dr. Matelski talking right now, uh, you know, you got to make a decision with your doctor. You know, we're just trying to provide some information, um, but, but I want you to make sure that you're talking with your doctor on what to go. But again, standard of care is really how we approach things, without a doubt. So let me switch topics a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about, again, the awesomeness of hormones. You mentioned earlier about some of the other benefits that estrogen has throughout the body. You mentioned bones. Um, let's talk about that. We, we know certainly that as women get into menopause and, maybe, and those estradiol levels fall and they have a little bit of, a bit of rise of, I think it's estrone E1 as they talk, talk about it, maybe the predominantly circulating estrogen. But the bottom line is that estrogen normally, while you're not, when you're, when you're premenopausal, has a very bone protective effect. It allows for, it minimizes bone resorption or the or, or breaking down the bone and allows for more bone building. So then when, when women become menopausal, uh, that turns, the, the kind of flips the script a little bit. So how do you approach like women in your practice that are worried about, okay, I'm menopausal, and now I think my bones are gonna go down. Should I maybe be on hormones? Or how do you kind of approach that? 
Yeah, so <laughs> deciding whether else. or not to go on to, you know, hormone replacement therapy, which is kind of what we call essentially replacing some of that estrogen that a menopausal woman has lost, um, it's really personal decision because so many factors go into it. So we obviously, you know, when we talk about that, and, and even for bone benefits and everything, um, estrogen's not considered first line, believe it or not, for bones. You know, we do know that physiologically it protects your bones, but when you talk about hormone replacement therapy for menopausal women, you're sort of kind of going a little bit against nature. So you always have to kind of think, well, there's probably consequences to this. And so, and so while it can be good for your bones, and you know, in limited cases, I think you could take a little bit of estrogen therapy to kind of stave off bone loss, but that's really not its primary um, recommendation. We're really only focusing on using estrogen and progestin, at least for hormone replacement therapy, that is, um, for the symptoms okay, of, of being hypoestrogenic from menopause. And again, the, the bones, we know they're actually more effective medicines. Oh, absolutely, yeah, so, yeah. There's a class of medicines out there, if you guys are listening, called bisphosphonates, and that's pretty much the first-line standard that will allow to prevent the resorption of bone, the, the breakdown, and allow for more time to do more building of the bones. And that's really a standard, standard of care. Uh, so, so I always try to say, no, you don't need hormones for your bones. There's other medicines that are out there. Let's get a DEXA scan first and foremost and see where you're at. And right. then some other lifestyle things to support these. Because as we were talking about earlier, lifestyle plays a big role in things. So let me ask you this question. There's so many women out there that go, when they transition to menopause, they have a just an inordinate amount of symptoms. And then there's some women that are out there that maybe have won the genetic lottery and, and literally go through it with grace and no symptoms at all. Why are there differences? Do you, do you, do you ever get asked that question like, oh, my neighbor, she went through this and she was just smiling the whole time during this transition. Mine is miserable. Yeah, and I think that probably does come down to a little bit of lifestyle and a little bit of genetics, like mm -hmm. you said, because the nature versus nurture question, oh, yes. it's never, ever going to be answered, because I think the answer is both, you know? Yes. And so, unfortunately, yes, some people are a little bit luckier when it comes to those genes, um, but also, like we talked about before, you know, exercising well, eating well, um, maintaining a normal BMI, those are things that we do know seem to be protective against menopausal symptoms or at least severity of them. So again, you could still suffer even if you have the best lifestyle. And again, that may be genetics, but that's where it comes in individualization where we talk about maybe, you know, you are doing everything that you can, but maybe you need a little bit of help. Excellent. Let me ask you this question. I get this asked all the time. Uh, is estrogen when it has, uh, I mean, when we're going through maybe fluctuations in estrogen as it relates to maybe mental health, uh, is estrogen the predominant reason why we're why, why women may go through um, you know mood swings at all during those cycles perimenopausal or menopausal or do we know are there other things that are not just estrogen fluctuations maybe or hormone fluctuations that are driving those kind of mental health challenges yeah that's a tough one um you know i definitely think there's hormonal impact or influence on mood and I wish that I knew even more about neurology and psychology because or well psychiatry because of the medicines and everything um, we know that the neurotransmitters essentially in some people for some reason are just not quite where they're supposed to be and the problem is you know if you look at estrogen you think to yourself okay well for the for the most part normal females all kind of have estrogen 
we all fluctuate every cycle when we're having our cycles and then they all kind of go through the same sort of challenges as you go through losing your estrogen perimenopausally and then menopausally but then not everybody has the emotional issues so you have to kind of wonder there's probably other factors at play in in you know again chronic stress that's definitely a risk factor for causing depression and anxiety and and other sort of mood issues so again i wish i could say that estrogen was the answer but I don't think it is. Yeah, I agree. I think it's much more more complex than that one. But it's interesting as I was doing some research, and some people say, well, if they're going through maybe some mood swings, maybe you give them a little estrogen, and all of a sudden maybe you perk right up. But it, it sounds like it's maybe too good, too too good to be true, maybe too easy. It's got to be. It's maybe a lot more complex than that. Yeah, actually, you know, it's it's interesting because estrogen, it's like too much, and you're probably going to be a weepy, emotional mess. But too little, again, you're going to be a weepy, emotional mess. You know, it really is about balance and, again, unfortunately, other factors at play. Excellent. Let's talk, I love that. It's all about the sweet spot. There's no doubt. I think that's what we're all trying to get when it comes to balancing our hormones and everything and what do we find uh, the best way to move forward. Uh, let me ask you this question. Uh, you mentioned earlier about cardiac pr pr protection with estrogen. Uh, women's heart health, huge thing. I tell, by the way, uh, I tell all my women, if you're between the age of 45 and maybe about 70, go get a heart scan if you haven't been scanned before. Five-minute test. That's my big plug to that one. I did a show on it earlier this year on women's heart health. And so uh, we've got to do that. But we got to talk about heart disease and women, estrogen having a protective effect, uh, certainly um, in the premenopausal. Woman, I will say a woman becomes menopausal. Um, we know that there are some challenges that are out there because of uh, estrogen, the lack of estrogen, now having a little more of a risk on those artery, of those arterial walls. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of approach women from an OB, from OBGYN standpoint? You, you might probably approach women that are menopausal from a cardiac risk, mm -hmm. just like how I probably would as an internist. Uh, do, do you start? Do you, do you check? Lip, do, are you checking lipids? Uh, also, when, when women come in there for your for their annual exam, are you doing those kind of cardiac uh, measures? Well, it kind of depends. So normally I will ask, you know, obviously when we gather history, we're always asking, you know, do you have any other things going on? Are there, you know, strong family histories of heart disease? Do you yourself have a history of any cardiac issues or, you know, anything along those lines? And of course, normally I'll ask if someone has had any recent lab work because a lot of times people are getting it done through just in testing for insurances or um, through their job, things like that. And I do encourage women to have a primary care doctor. And you know, OBGYN is really hard because some people want you to be their primary doctor and they don't realize that as an OBGYN, our training is actually quite limited in the actual primary care field. So when we talk about our prevention stuff, we really are really focusing on things like you know, breast cancer detection, um, we're really big on colonoscopies. We always make sure people get their colonoscopies. And, you know, cervical cancer um, prevention and screening and, you know, HPV vaccination. And we do a lot of STD testing and some counseling about, you know, obviously bone health like we talked about because that's kind of an issue that we can have some sort of impact on these younger women that we're seeing. However, for us, you know, I always kind of tell people, I can run some basic labs on you, but really, you know, we don't do a whole lot with EKGs and chest x-rays and things like that in a screening sense. So it's really more appropriate to have a general physician, um, whether they're internal medicine or family medicine, you know, both are good and they both have their place. Um, so again, it's, it's kind of one of those things where we can start it, 
but a lot of times if there is something complex or you're going to need medicines for your cholesterol, many OBGYNs really don't want to deal with that. And it's not that we don't care, but we just don't have the training for right. it. Right. Well, thank you, for, thank you for clarifying that. And you guys heard it from Dr. Matelski. Come see me. <laughs> Come see my <laughs> colleagues. No, but thank you. No, it's, it's true. And it's very, but it's, it's good about, like, I love, love about our relationship and everything. You take care of some of my patients and everything. But it's like, I know that I can trust you to do what you got to do, but then you trust me back to do what I got to do. Exactly. And it works out really, really well. So I'm so super excited about that. Um, we got to talk about this related to estrogen. And then we may get into some myths versus facts. Um, we got to talk about soy. Uh, and the, the whole soy issue. Uh, soy kind of gets a bad rap, um, and, and, and I'll kind of give you guys the, the soy uh, conundrum that are out there. Um, soy uh, uh, contains phytoestrogens, uh, and soy, let me take a step back. Soy is very much a nutrient-dense food that is that's irrefutable. Uh, the protein content, the mineral density is, is amazing. It can be a great substitute for meat, uh, but sometimes when you talk about soy and, and female hormones, especially estrogen, it may get a bad rap. So Harvard actually did something through, through their public health department and their, uh, their nutritionists that looked at, looked at this kind of question that's out there. Do you advise women to do soy? Do you advise them not to do soy? And what's the scenario? And, those, and the research, the conclusion was that, first of all, there's not enough studies. Second of all, the studies vary widely. And, and third of all, you have to still look at it in the totality of it all. And so, how do you kind of approach that in women that might say, Dr. Matelski, you know, maybe I got some hormonal imbalance, my estrogen, can I eat soy? Do you, do you have a response to that? Yeah, so I, again, I usually kind of ask them more about what do they normally eat, because if someone was kind of thinking of adding soy in, but they already eat a pretty normal standard diet, and they are getting dairy and meat, and if they're not necessarily eating organically, I, and they do eat processed foods, I get a little bit worried because there are, you know, there are, um, and I can't even think of the word of it, but, um, oh yeah, endocrine disruptors. Oh, yeah. So a BPA and, you know, all these different things that people talk about being in the environment or being in the plastics that we're exposed to and everything. So believe it or not, a lot of women are actually exposed to a lot of estrogenic compounds that they just don't even realize that they are. So I wouldn't necessarily add it in if they aren't already like maybe a vegetarian and soy is one of their major protein sources. So I wouldn't necessarily add it in or if you're gonna add it in, maybe in very small amounts, just to make sure that we're not overdoing it. Yeah. Because like we said, balance is key. Balance. You know, you really don't want too much and you really don't want too little. I know one of the things I tell my patients, I go, I go, all right, you know, if you're premenopausal and saying we're talking about the, the peak this high levels of estradiol, maybe you are going to get a little bit of an anti-estrogenic effect from the soy, and maybe you might have some symptoms. On the flip side, I kind of say, hey, you're menopausal, and then you're having those low, your estradiol levels really low, maybe you should get a pro-benefit, a pro-estrogenic benefit. It's just kind of me, and as I think of things, I go, well, we get it again, we want to look at the total picture. And so I sometimes want to get cornered with a question like that. I, I, I'm like, yeah, I take a step back. What is the totality of what we're dealing with? What is your diet normally like? then how can we continue to go from there? So I'm like you on that one. Yeah, and I think it really, I mean, it probably would be hard to really hurt yourself by eating a lot of soy unless you're very extreme about it. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, again, I'm not going to tell anyone to just go out and convert everything into soy, you know. <laughs> I think that's that whole trying it in moderation. And, you know, if you feel like it does benefit you, then I think it's a reasonable thing to do because it's in soybeans. I mean, it Absolutely. is a product of nature. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of plant-based foods we know 
seem to generally be good for us. Absolutely, yeah. And people, you guys have heard me talk about this all the time with Tiro with Dr. G. You know, following a predominantly whole food plant-based diet will set a foundation for just success without a doubt. So let's get into something that I do every week called Myths versus Facts. Uh, I love doing Myths versus Facts. You guys know out there who are joining us and who have been back and repeat listeners to the program. You know I love doing that every week. It's really about setting the record straight. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, and so we want you out there to have the right information at the right time so you can make the best decisions. And again, talk to your doctor and ask questions. I'm all about asking questions, and I don't mind if my patients ask me questions. It does not bother me. I want you to have the tools needed for success. So here's what we go. Miss versus facts, that estrogen show. What I'm going to say is I'm going to say a statement, and Dr. Matelsi is going to say myth or fact and tell us why. We'll kind of do like maybe a little rapid fire. Sure. I might participate in this, by the way. Okay. I'm going to give great. myself the easy ones because okay. of my show. <laughs> I'm going to give the live balls. Uh, that's how it is. That's how I do it. I'll tell this to my wife earlier. I go, why do I always take the easy ones? She's like, well, that's just how you are. And I like it. So anyway, so here we go. Myth versus facts, that estrogen show. Here we go. Dr. Matelsky. I like this one. Estrogen imbalance is undertreated and underdiagnosed. Myth or fact? So, as an OBGYN again, this is a little bit of a hard one for me because I, I'm not really, again, sure exactly when a patient says estrogen imbalance, what do they mean exactly? So, do they mean they think that, you know, again, they have too much, too little, that kind of stuff. So, when I say estrogen, so when I read that statement, undertreated and underdiagnosed, I would say, you know, I would say no, it's technically, yeah, because right. again, I would say there are definitely phases in a woman's life where um, either high or low estrogen or just, as we said, kind of fluctuating estrogen levels are all considered to a degree normal. It's when things like a woman who should be ovulating on a, on a monthly basis isn't, that's when I would start to be like, okay, there's something wrong here. And again, maybe it's estrogen, maybe it's not. But um, for the most part, you know, again, I wouldn't really call it that okay. specifically. All right, got it. Here we go. I'm going to do one. Here we go. Miss versus facts. This is for me. I love it. Um, you have to live with hot flashes even if they make you miserable. I'll say that is a myth. You don't have to live with them, but I want you to work with your clinician. Again, we talk about the balance of everything. Um, hormones respond to everything I mentioned earlier about part of your brain collects all these signals. Your body has to respond to that. Your body has to respond to sensors, chemicals, these messengers. But it's more of a bigger picture. It can't just be one pinpoint thing. You gotta look at the totality. So I'll say you don't have to live with them. Reality is that a lot of people do, but there's usually things that people can do from a lifestyle standpoint, hopefully to balance things out. Here we go, Dr. Matelski. Here we go. Myth or fact. Okay. Low estrogen is a normal part of aging. Myth or fact? So, I mean... I would say it probably is a fact, okay. honestly, because I mean, just coming from a purely biological standpoint, you know, when you, you look at someone without any medical intervention at all, again, the normal reproductive cycle for a woman in terms of her life is going to go from being ovulatory to essentially moving through the perimenopause and then menopause. So I would say, yes, it is normal for that estrogen to fall with age. But again, you know, aging is one of those things where even a, even that process itself, there, there are varying degrees of symptoms or, you know, comorbidities like osteoporosis, things like that, that we talk about that not everybody has that just because they're older. So, you know, again, there's some bit of it where maybe it isn't quite normal, but again, that's a tough one. Excellent. Here we go. I'll do this one. 
If your doctor diagnoses you with obesity, metabolic syndrome, or diabetes, then the root cause is estrogen imbalance. That is a myth. It is not estrogen as a cause of your diabetes, uh, without, a, without a doubt. Uh, it's not a cause of your metabolic syndrome, not a cause of your obesity. Uh, there are other factors at play. We want to make sure that we're talking and addressing everything. Again, I think about my patients that come in. I want to look at them from a totality. It's not just one thing. Uh, diabetes is preventable. Type 2 diabetes is preventable probably 80, 90% of the time through lifestyle. Obesity as well, too, working on lifestyle and metabolic syndrome, which is people that are at higher risk for heart disease or stroke or diabetes, lifestyle. So think again about lifestyle. Here we go, Dr. Matelski. Low estrogen can be linked to mood swings, fatigue, low energy, and a lack of drive to get up and do things. Myth or fact? I would say fact. Okay, and again, that's, that's part of the whole, um, again, I think it's individual in terms of could your estrogen fluctuations or having too little estrogen, um, could that be part of your symptomatology? It could be. And again, it really depends on what else is going on like we said, because, you know, again, many of these symptoms are actually crossovers from other hormonal systems or other disorders. So unfortunately, you know, again, like we got back to brain chemistry, anxiety, depression, you know, if you give those people estrogen, is that going to cure them? A lot of times it won't, you know. So again, there's always sort of that whole, is that the only factor and what else is at play? All right, I'm going to give you another one. Here we go, right back at you. I thought it was going to be a little swap there, that's but that's okay. all right. I like it. Here we go, Dr. Matelski. Every adult female should know their estrogen levels. Myth or fact? Oh, I would definitely say fa uh, myth on this one. Okay, <laughs> I was going to yeah, say yeah, false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. False, false uh, or myth? Please because, explain. <laughs> uh, well, again, you know, estrogen levels, like we talked about, as long as a person is not symptomatic, meaning, you know, if it's a young reprodu reproductive age woman who is having regular menstrual cycles and not really having any other real symptoms that we'd be worried about. Um, like we said, they fluctuate a lot. So, you know, what is a normal estradiol level? Well, the answer is it depends on your age and it depends on where you are in your cycle, unfortunately. And so, you know, if you said to someone, oh, I had my cholesterol and it was 200, what's your, what was your estradiol level? You know, most people would be like, what? <laughs> Because we just don't do that. What's I know what cholesterol is. It's just is. not as helpful as some is. of those other blood level measurements. Excellent. I'll take this next one. Here we go. Um, we didn't talk about it too much, but I'll say it real quick. Hormone replacement therapy, HRT, increases your risk of heart disease. Uh, that is a fact, and I'll say this. Hormone replacement therapy, when it was originally studied with a, a large study, over 27,000 postmenopausal women called the um, Women's Health, um, it was the... Um, Women's Health, Women's Health Initiative, Initiative mm -hmm. yes, that was published in 2002, um, basically combined estrogen plus progestin, the risk of that combined thing to treat symptoms in these postmenopausal women increased the risk not only of heart disease, but also of breast cancer. It made the tissue, the breast tissue more dense, um, so hard to pick up on, on, on mammograms and or at least diagnosed later on in the disease course, uh, heart disease, uh, blood clots, and stroke. So uh, now we're, we're going to have enough time to talk about this, but there's a whole other argument for single-agent therapy, estrogens in women that have had their hysterectomies. Yes, and then, you know, just to piggyback Please. on that, you know, the Women's Health, Health Initiative study was kind of a problematic study. It caused a lot of panic in people, and I think a lot of people didn't really take it into context, and many, you know, many people don't read the actual study for themselves and kind of 
see what exactly was done to those people or, or what they did and how they measured outcomes and everything. So, you know, when it comes to the cardiovascular disease, again, as a premenopausal woman, you really, your estrogen is cardioprotective. Yeah, protective, yeah. Definitely cardioprotective. And then again, that gets into that whole, well, how much is, is appropriate for what age are you? Because as you get to the menopause and your periods have stopped, you know, that first couple of years when you really still had pretty estrogenized, I guess you could say yeah, tissues, tissues yeah. and your blood vessels, they're still pretty amenable to being exposed to estrogen. But at the same time, if you are 10 years out from menopause, should you go start estrogen? Definitely not. Because unfortunately, the study shows that essentially, if you're using the estrogen pretty much just for a few years after that menopausal transition, it actually seems to be beneficial. Excellent. But when you're further out, actually the risks seem to outweigh the benefits. This is more reason to talk to your doctor without a doubt. So there you go, myth versus facts, everybody. we got about five minutes left. This has just been an awesome discussion. I kind of said, oh my gosh, we only got five minutes left, but I didn't know that. Uh, but this has been an awesome discussion talking about estrogen. So what I want to do is I want to bring it on home. Um, kind of like when patients come to our office, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier about a chief complaint, why they might be coming in for whatever kind of hormone dysfunction there is. At the end of the day, we call it the assessment and plan, of course. of course. And that is when you, as us as clinicians, as the physicians, we give somebody their diagnosis, we give them a treatment plan, and of course, most importantly, we give them a follow-up. So, bring it on home, Dr. Matelski, give us a couple take-home points today. You know, people have been listening to us, they're going to share the show, which is going to be awesome. But what should people out there, especially women that are listening to us, know about estrogen? What are some take-home points from today? Yeah, so I think one of the big things is to be, um, you know, cognizant that there's going to be good things about estrogen and bad things. And like anything in life, nothing's really 100%. So, you have to come to an agreement, and again, I think talking to your doctor is really the only way to go in terms of are you a candidate for anything along the lines of estrogen or is there something that needs to be done about your estrogen level and you know again is that a safe thing for you to do what's reasonable and you know come to something that can benefit your quality of life excellent and my final thoughts are this um you know really i want people out there to take from the show is again the opportunity that's out there uh the engagement is needed without a doubt I tell it to my patients all the time. And, but again, if I can get to somebody and say, what's important to you with your health? What are you trying to do with your life in more of a broader perspective? I think we can kind of get to some, some balance when we're talking about things. You know, hormones are powerful substances, as I said earlier. They can have a big effect on the body, but there's so many of them. And it's hard to just kind of say it's one hormone versus a, versus a whole bunch of other hormones. We have to look at it in the totality. So people out there that are listening to us today, I want you to, to just kind of really Write down questions. There's nothing wrong with writing down questions. And then talk to your doctor. And then have a discussion with him or her about practical solutions for what's bothering you. Without that kind of engagement from your end, we cannot continue to move forward with opportunity and more importantly, action. So uh, this has been an awesome show. Uh, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Megan Matelski. Let me read her credentials again, because they run deep, as I said in the beginning. Dr. Megan Matelski, board certified obstetrician and gynecologist, Edward Elmer's Health, Check her out, www.eehealth.org. Hey, you've been listening and watching live on Facebook and intellectualradio.com. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Copyright 2019 by MDG Wellness, LLC. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for my show next week. Motivation tips 
for a healthier you. That's right. Motivation tips for a healthier you. Don't miss. It's going to be awesome. Again, my name is Dr. G. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkovis.com. I'll catch you guys later. Peace out.